This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am really excited to be joined by special guest, Mr. Mike Clay of ESPN. Mike, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I think this is either a third or fourth year in a row that I've had you on. Always excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a good time to talk. Uh, mix in a little Dynasty talk, too, here in June. So, uh, you know, we're, we're getting close. You know, once July gets here, you know, we start getting into training camps and uh, it's full-on football season. I mean, for us, it's football season year-round, but we're still we're getting to that point where it's going to really ramp up. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dig right into it. I want to start with the wide receiver rookies. And we spent so much time here on Saturday to Sunday and some of the guests we've had on talking about the top three guys, right? The two Alabama guys, Jamar Chase. I kind of want to go to the next tier and kind of pick your brain a little bit from Decadarius, Tony, Rashad Bateman, Rondell Moore, Elijah Moore. Everyone seems to kind of have their favorite either for redraft or for, for dynasty. And I feel like I've been pushing back a lot since draft weekend on the dislike, it seems like, for Kadarius Tony in scouring rankings that are out there, it seems like you're a little more excited about Kadarius Tony than maybe some other experts or analysts in the industry. So maybe just share your thoughts a little bit about Kadarius Tony, Dynasty, redraft value, if you think there is any, and then compared to some of those other guys, I think, that are in that tier, like the Batemans, both Elijah or Rondell Moore, uh, and that group. Yeah, so... Um... Look, I think that sometimes we get a little full of ourselves or a little too confident in our opinions of players and be in our scouting ability um, instead of relying more on things that are, you know, uh, in our control and, and focusing on draft pedigree, which is super important. And, and, you know, sometimes we get caught up fading players because we just don't like us, like maybe one thing about them or we view them as one type of player and they turn out to be a different type of player. So I think that's the case with Tony, right? I'm basically chasing his pedigree. He's around one player. Uh, he was a guy who teams were in, obviously interested in the first round. He went in the first round. Other teams were interested. We know pretty clearly that Jacksonville was interested in him in the first round as well, despite the fact that they had uh, DJ Chark and Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault. So, um, you know, he's a popular player. And when a guy is picked in the top 32, we should keep a close eye on him and be interested in him. So, you know, people are still nonetheless reaching on uh, second round, third round receivers. Second round receivers, fine. You know, I have no major issue with that. I love T. Higgins last year. He was the first, I believe, receiver in the second round. Uh, But you see like Michael Carter going ahead in in rookie drafts, a fourth round running back, which is just atrocious value. If you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. You need to reevaluate your principles as a drafter because yeah, maybe Michael Carter breaks out and he's a great player and Tony busts and, and you hit on this one long-term, that's going to crush you. You cannot draft that way and have success. So uh, look, Tony, yeah, he certainly, you know, he's not the biggest guy. He's 5'11", 190, but you know, he he's reliable. He kind of caught a ton of his targets at the uh, collegiate level. He was terrific with the ball in his hands and uh, who knows what he's going to turn into the pros, but uh, you know, certainly he has a chance of being an explosive player, maybe even a 90 plus catch player. So um, I'll gladly take him in round two if he falls. And that's where I've been grabbing him because he has been falling in rookie draft. So he's fourth on my board, you know, Chase Waddle, Smith are one, two, three, four. Um, you know, then you can mix in Rondale more and, and Marshall and, and more and Bateman. It f- kind of fell down my board just because of landing spot. You know, you don't want to get too caught up on that, but the Baltimore offense is a unicorn. It is. We saw it with Marquise Brown. We've seen it with the running backs. We've seen it with Lamar Jackson with what he does with his legs. It's a unicorn. You have to treat it appropriately, and it's going to be hard for Bateman to be a fantasy star 
in this in this offense the way it's built. So that's my reservation there. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they open up the offense this year legitimately and things change. But um, I think that I would rather take a shot on a couple other guys, a couple round two guys over him because of that scenario. Yeah, I think you bring up some great points there in terms of just doing it wrong if you're taking a fourth round running back. And I think you can make the case is I'm seeing a lot of Amon Ross St. Brown, who I liked as a collegiate player. And, and I understand he's a guy that's been on the mind of the Debbie community and the draft Twitter community. But people are people are taking him ahead of Darius Tony in rookie drafts. And it's just a mind boggling thing where we have to separate. We only have limited amounts of evidence in terms of film access and inter- we don't have interview and firsthand and stuff like that. The NFL has so much more of that. And yeah, the NFL misses, but a lot of times, you know, they, their insight is way more than what we're doing from the outside. And I think sometimes people get caught up in guys that they've been looking at and watching in the collegiate game for so long. And a guy who kind of bust out late in his collegiate career, like there is Tony. So I thought you really made some really strong points there. Why don't we, why don't we pivot this over? We'll stay on the pass catchers and look at the tight ends. When you think about a guy like Kadarius Tony, is it? I haven't checked out your overall rankings in terms of dynasty rankings. Even as a rookie, we know how prolific Travis Kelsey, you know George Kittle, Darren Waller are. Would you put if you were doing a startup dynasty right now? Would you have, would you put Kyle Pitts and that pedigree over all of those guys who even have a, a proven track record? And some of them, obviously Kelsey, a little bit older than the other two. But would you put Pitts as high as number one in terms of startup dynasty tight end rankings? I have no issue with it. I love going young in uh, in dynasty drafts for a variety of reasons. Uh, so you know, look, Kelsey is what eleven years older than Kyle Pitts. You know, his years is the num- the number one fantasy tight end are certainly winding down. Uh, I think he could do it again, maybe two more times, but it's, he's coming to the end. Whereas Pitts, we know has uh long-term pedigree. And even if Pitts levels out as a mid-range tight end one, I mean, Kelsey's probably going to be gone in a couple of years. And then you have yourself a mid-range tight end one. So if you're doing a startup draft, you're not necessarily expecting to compete in year one. In fact, arguably your best path to long-term success, or, you know, when I say long-term, I'm saying like, you know, three to five to six years, somewhere in that range is doing poorly in your first year, going super young, taking all kinds of lottery tickets, getting young players who will hit their prime maybe one or two years into uh, your dynasty um, and and potentially doing bad in that first year and getting the first overall pick or say a top three pick in the next rookie draft. That's me, arguably your best path to uh, success. And I've done that before uh, as well and built some, some very good teams. So I, I don't go into a dynasty startup with the goal of competing in the short term. And if that's your goal, Travis Kelsey shouldn't really be on your board unless he totally plummets in value. Uh, and another reason, by the way, that I go young is perceived value, which is so important in dynasty. Once I'm running back is like 26. No one wants him. His value is way below where it should be. Uh, I mean, you know, ask around on Julio Jones right now and see how cheap you could get him. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. So, um you know, guys just, you know, once they get up there near the end, they're they're super cheap. Nobody wants them. It's hard to trade them. But, you know, a guy that has done nothing in this league, like a Henry Ruggs, who people are just excited about the upside and the skills and see 21 years old. I mean, those guys have a lot of value. People people love to get their hands on them. So getting players like that uh, has value for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And if we if we take this to pits in terms of redraft value, obviously, you are one of the best in the business in terms of your projections, your process. How hard is it to, you know, we obviously know a lot of targets up for grabs there in Atlanta with Julio Jones out. How hard is it to keep expectations 
in check, like so you don't have the greatest statistical year ever, or maybe the way the numbers broke, that's just kind of what it's predicted for Kyle Pitts as a tight end. Is it hard? Is it almost like you just kind of trust your process and where it falls, it falls? Or do you keep in the back of your mind no tight end has ever done, you know, X, Y, and Z in terms of total statistical output? Yeah, and that's part of determining target share, basically, you know, finding a reasonable number. So I have Kyle Pitts at 18%. That's a big number. You know, that's putting him in, you know, kind of the range of where like someone like TJ Hawkinson was last season. It's a step down from your Travis Kelsey and, and George Kittles, but more like, a, you know, Dallas Goddard, one Ertz doesn't play kind of in that department. So it's a reasonable number. It hedges a little bit for, uh, you know, the fact that he's only 20 years old and he's a tight end and there's usually a learning curve there. But at the same time, it also acknowledges the fact that there's no Julio Jones and it's Calvin Ridley and then it's probably Kyle Pitts second in line. Really, it should be Kyle Pitts. Maybe Russell Gage, if he makes a leap, has more targets, but I think that's probably a long shot at this point. So should be Kyle Pitts second in line in terms of uh, target priority. So I, th- I think 18% very high for a rookie tight end, but then again, uh, in the modern era, we haven't had a tight end drafted this high either. So we have to acknowledge that as well. So it's a mix of both. You know, you don't have to go one way. I feel like the industry, especially if you read about Kyle Pitts or look at tweets about Kyle Pitts or any sort of analysis, it's all about his ceiling and how great he's going to be and the things he could do if he gets this and that. Uh, that's kind of become his baseline instead of his ceiling, right? There's also the chance that, you know, it takes some time. Maybe he comes out, he struggles a little, but only sees five targets in week one and gets roughed up blocking a little bit and, you know, Hayden Hurst is in uh, playing every snap and it, he's only in on passing downs and that kind of limits his upside a little bit. It could take a while, you know, maybe he doesn't bust out till halfway through his rookie year. I feel like nobody's even considering the possibility that he, there's some bumps in the road for a 20 year old rookie in the NFL. Uh, and history says there probably will be even the guys who are sure things come, you know, they go in the draft and they're, you know, top three pick and, and it could be a defensive tackle, wide receiver, it could be anything. They're sure things. And uh, before you know it, they're busts, you know, so it happens all the time. And, and guess what? It's possible Kyle Pitts is a bust. You know, half of the first round picks are going to be bust. We don't know for sure. We don't know that for sure. And it's something that you have to least consider briefly when you're making decisions. For sure. And you mentioned, you know, some of those possible bumps that he could hit. And you also mentioned the 18% target share, which would be at the level of Hawkinson last year. Does that mean from just from listening to you, does that mean you have maybe one or two more guys after the big three tight ends before you would, you would recommend Pitts and redraft? Would you have like a Mark Andrews or, 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 or Hawkinson who you, t- you talked about? Would you have them ahead of, of Pitts in, in terms of this year, just redraft rankings? Uh, it's close. He's in that tier, right? So Kelsey's round one tier on his own. Then it's Waller Kittle in rounds two to three. And then there's that next year, which is Andrews, Hawkinson, Pitts. And I have Logan Thomas in there, though. He's going in round nine, best value in in drafts right now. So uh, those guys are kind of all very close to each other. If you wanted to cross Thomas off fine and go Andrews, Hawkinson, Pitts, I'd have no major qualms with that. I think those three are very tight. So pick your order on those guys. Uh, Pitts probably is the highest ceiling. Maybe, maybe Hawkinson does entering year three, but those guys all very close. Yeah, for for sure. It's going to be really interesting to kind of see. I think Pitts is probably going to get pushed up the board a little bit higher in redraft or best ball than, than I'm comfortable with in year one, but I'm excited with the the upside and, and the ceiling. But as you said, there could be a few bumps in the road before he maybe starts hitting that. If we pivot this over to, to the running back position, I think it's safe to assume that most people have Najee Harris to clear RB1 for the rookies in terms of redraft or dynasty. So, so why don't we, why don't we go to the next group that Ethan and Javante Williams group? 
I'm interested to kind of hear your perspective on that. Do you have them? I think pre-draft, a lot of analysts had Ethan maybe a step or a little bit of a leg up. But then since then, the comments by Urban Meyer, not knowing exactly what Ethan's role is going to be, where do you kind of see them in terms of dynasty? Do you have a clear preference between the two? And same thing in redraft, do you, do you have a lean on, on which one you would prefer for this year based on what we currently know, which is a little bit limited in terms of their situations that they're in right now? Yes, it's tough. I mean, I have Harris, Etienne, Williams, but pick your order. I, I mean, again, it may depend on uh, – uh, it could depend on your preference. A player, certainly, you could consider pedigree. Obviously, Harris and Etienne were first-round picks. Williams was picked in the second round. But then there's age, right? I just talked about how once running backs get to 25, 26, people start to get leery of them. Well, Najee Harris, come week one, will be 23 and a half years old. So two years from now, halfway through his rookie contract, he'll already be pushing for 26. I mean, that's tough, especially for a startup if you're, you know, investing in the running back position. I mean, this guy's basically as old as, like, he's a year younger than Joe Mixon, you know. So uh, think about that. Uh, Javante Williams, on the other hand, is 21, not even 21 and a half years old come week one. So uh, he's he's very young, and, and if you're, again, you're uh, in a startup situation, you might prefer to go with a guy that's over two years younger. ETN, by the way, is kind of in the middle, uh, 22 and a half years old. So uh, it's, it's kind of a tough one to navigate because Harris is, uh, again, very, very, uh, good opportunity to be kind of a unicorn, a guy that's 230 pounds, six foot two, and could catch 50 or 60 footballs. He has that skill set and also has the, the top end rushing ability. So, um, you have to weigh those kind of things. It depends at what point you are in, uh, your rookie draft, you know, I actually, I, uh, or in your, in your dynasty, um, uh, just an example of something I did in a, uh, a rookie draft. I had Jamar Chase, and then I made a trade where I got rid. Of, I sent Joe Mixon and got the pick that allowed me to take Najee Harris. So I, I went with Harris and and Chase. I didn't really want both Bengals on the lineup, but part of the part of the deal. I think they're close in dynasty value, but nonetheless, you can kind of navigate that way. But again, I put Harris kind of on the level of Mixon in terms of because they're the same age, and you know they have a path to similar uh, similar workloads. Both have bad offensive lines. You know they're they're probably more similar, I think, than people realize. But again, he's not a, you know, he's not a 21 year old running back coming in like a lot of these guys are. Yeah. And, and that's something that I think people, you know, he's been a name in the the college and the scouting community. He's been, it was a top level recruit coming out of high school, but he he stayed right. He, he was there for the duration. And I think people, you know, sometimes lose sight. We're so used to running backs coming out early that we don't usually see the top level running backs coming out at that age. And I think that's something that I haven't heard many people talk about. And you're probably the first one that that's really acknowledge it. So it's definitely something to keep in the back of your mind. Last running back question I want to ask you is you mentioned Michael Carter before when we were talking about people, you know, foolishly taking him over a first round wide receiver. How hard is it? And, and you know, it's, we, could, we could use it in terms of Michael Carter, but even a more general question when there's a wide open depth chart, a, a talented player in Michael Carter and some, many people thought he would go on day two, but just understanding that keeping that perspective in terms of dynasty value, do you just use it in terms of the the round pedigree to make sure not to get overly excited in terms of Michael Carter? Because, you know, people did this with Devin Singletary a couple of years ago, and he was even in the third round, I believe late third round is that 
they're probably the Jets probably aren't done in the long run at the running back position, right? They had other needs, bigger needs, you know. So people are excited because of the landing spot and the, what the depth chart looks like. So how do you wrestle with that when you're doing rankings in terms of long term that you know that dynasty perspective? And then what about Trey Sermon? He seems like a very you know hot topic item. Some people have him way way up in, into the top eight or top ten of rookie rankings. Other people taking a little bit more conservative approach as being a late third round guy. Yeah, so, I mean, Sermon first, great situation there in San Francisco. Uh, very much like Carter has a path to a big workload, less of a path uh, with, with Raheem Mostert. There was the Jets have a more wide-open situation. But you can't get too caught up in situation, right? Like, there's some unicorn situations like I talked about with the Ravens, but for the most part, you don't want to get too caught up. Uh, you want to talk about, you want to focus in on on ability and pedigree, right, when it comes to these guys. And, you know, Carter, I mean, Look, here's the thing. Yes, he may have a path and he may come in and get 150, 170 touches right away. But is he good? You know, is he a good NFL uh, running back? Obviously, the NFL doesn't think so or he wouldn't have fallen to the fourth round, you know, and that's not really the makeup of a of a star player in the league. And, and you know, that's what you have to consider. He may come in, compete in training camp and just not be very good. And that's the case for most fourth, fourth, fourth rounders. You know, these guys are usually drafted in the fourth to be a backup uh, or just a depth guy and kind of work on special teams not to come in and be a feature back. And he may not be that guy. And you look at fourth round picks from the past couple of seasons. Think about it. This is the ca- category he's in. Josh Kelly, LaMichael uh, Pirine, who the Jets took in the fourth round last year. Keep in mind, how, how great do people feel about him now? Anthony McFarland, DJ Dallas, the year before Bryce Love, Justice Hill, Benny Snell, Tony Pollard. You know, he's looks like a good player, but he's a backup still. Uh, Naheem Hines, the year before, is a pass catching specialist, which Michael Carter very well, that might be his ceiling as someone like Hines. Mark Walton, Ido Smith, Kalen Balaj, Chase Edmonds, who he might finally break out. It's taken, what, till uh, year number four. So um, had some value last season, obviously. But again, more of a pass-catching specialist. So, And I could go on and on and on. I mean, good luck finding fantasy stars from the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. I mean, there's very, very few of those. So if you're taking Michael Carter in the first round of a rookie draft or taking him in the single-digit rounds of a redraft, I mean, good luck. I mean, again, I, I just can't stress enough how bad of a strategy that is. You're going to hit You're gonna hit once in a while, once in a blue moon, uh, for maybe a borderline RB2. But, man, you're talking about a player with a low chance of hitting. You're talking about a, a situation where an offense was dead last in scoring last year, probably isn't going to be too much better with a rookie quarterback this year, and is probably going to rely on, on their wide receivers when they are producing. It's just not a, a good situation, and I just don't I, I don't get it. I like Carter as a as a player as a potential PPR uh, asset down the road, but when he falls to the fourth round, and man, it's just uh, it's it's a tough one for me, and I, I'm surprised more people are uh, not kind of staying away from that spot. Yeah, and what you said way back in the beginning of the episode is there are times that I think people from the fantasy perspective or the draft Twitter community who just overvalued their own personal film analysis and interpretation. And nobody was that excited about Michael P. Ryan last year as a fourth round pick for the Jets. But Michael Carter was a guy that a lot of people thought he can go much higher. And a lot of people had him in their top four, top five running back rookie rankings pre-draft based on their own personal film analysis. And that seems to always be the disconnect. I think the, 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 
some parts of the fantasy community have a hard time separating what they thought about a player before the draft ever happened and then where they end up going in the draft. And, and we see it right here with two Jets running backs back to back. Nobody was talking about LaMichael Piran as a first round rookie pick last year or an early second round rookie pick. The Jets, yeah, obviously, hopefully a better quarterback situation now, better, maybe better head coach and, and stuff like that. But in terms of the running back depth chart, it still leaves a lot to be desired, but it was just based on pre-draft, you know, film analysis. So let's finish this off with one uh, or two quick quarterback questions. Uh, obviously, how do you differentiate between, we know Trevor Lawrence is going to be on the field day one. We, we, I think it's pretty safe to assume Zach Wilson's going to be on the field day one. I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance to be determined. I think the betting odds would probably be against that right now. Do you let that in terms of immediate starting uh, ability in terms of a week one starter, do you let that impact dynasty rankings when you're ranking these four quarterbacks? Obviously they're going to be on the field real soon, all of them. Do you let who might be week one impact your dynasty outlook for, for these four guys? Uh, not really. You know, in terms of just rookie quarterbacks, no, not really. You know, I, I don't think it matters. I have Lawrence Fields, Wilson, Lance, Mac Jones in that order. Uh, I don't think I changed that from, from the draft, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, Lawrence, again, you said he's starting day one. Fields might take to week three or four. doesn't matter to me. You know, like his... Uh, passing ability, rushing ability, team traded up, took him in the first round as a path to being a uh, the starter in the short term. Zach Wilson's probably the most undervalued right now. I feel like everybody's in on wanting to get the rushing guys, and, and it'll take a Trey Lance, uh, even though Wilson was picked before him. But, you know, he could do a little bit with his legs as well uh, and is probably the best, the better passing prospect at this point. Obviously, an NFL team felt he was the better, the better football player. So uh, he's probably the more undervalued, but um, I'm not too worried about it. Lance, you know, he might not play till midseason, but look, if you're in a 12 team league and it's, I mean, it's tough with a six man bench, you know, uh, and, and I guess this really only applies to season long. It's, it's tough in those shallower leagues to hold on to a quarterback like that. It's not playing, but if you have a shaky situation, you know, you could see Lance potentially paying off down the stretch if he's the real deal and, and replace Jimmy Garoppolo before midseason. So, um, again, that's, that's more getting onto the season long though, from a dynasty standpoint, you're just stashing these guys anyway, you're just, you're just stashing them. So, uh, for me, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And I, and you kind of, you kind of answered my second question I was going to ask, which was in a redraft setting, would you be intrigued by stashing these guys, especially the guys who have the running capabilities? And you kind of answered it. I think it really truly depends on the, the roster size. If you're in a roster crunch, it's very hard. If you have much deeper rosters, then I think they're, they're worth the flyer that maybe they come in and, you know, the, the cheat code that is the, the running quarterback at times maybe, you know, gives you a guy who you can potentially play down, down the line, but it really depends on the size of your bench so guys there it is uh mike clay thank you so much uh for coming back on here i know you're really uh busy working on all your stuff over there at espn and getting ready for the upcoming season please i'm sure most of my audience uh follows you and, and knows where to follow you but please let them know if there's anything you got working on over at espn that you want to share uh please feel free to do so Sure. Yeah. You can follow along at Mike Clay NFL on Twitter. And of course, uh, my content's always at ESPN.com in ESPN plus. So sign up for sure. And, uh, lots coming, lots of, you know, my, uh, my list of content that I'll be working on over the next couple of months. I'm, I'm it's already in progress. I already filed some stuff. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Guys, make sure you're checking out Mike. Make sure you're checking out all his work at over at ESPN. Like I said before, his projections are one of the best in the business. You should be definitely checking them out. So on behalf of Mike Clay, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, 
Thank you for, for listening to us. And I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.